1 John is where we've been for many, many months, and 1 John is where we remain. We're going to finish chapter 4 today, 1 John chapter 4. We've been plugging through this book for many weeks. It's, it's been slow and steady, but it's been, we're getting a lot out of it. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one or you want to take one home with you and you don't have one, we have Bibles in the back on the bookshelf there, the same version we're using to teach from, the English Standard Version. You can take that Bible and use it here, or you can take it home or give it to someone who needs it. If you're using that Bible, it's going to be page 961. It's going to be 1 John 4 today. 1 John 4, verses 19 to 21. If you have your Bibles, you can join us there. The theme through the lesson of 1 John has been for His glory and for our benefit. And I'm so thankful to say that God's benefits for us are the same things that glorify His name. Aren't you thankful that God has set it up that way? Today's lesson is going to be called Love Emphasized. Love Emphasized. And again, we'll be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, the last part of 1 John chapter 4. Before we get there, do you ever have to tell yourself things over and over and over and over to remind yourself? I find myself doing that for my children, of course, because they're children, but I also find that doing, doing that for my own self. I find myself telling my own brain messages that I need to hear over and over and over because if I don't remember these things, it's going to be tragic. There's going to be consequences. So I'm going to give you a list of things that I have to tell myself over and over so that I pay attention to things that I need to. Number one, don't eat that cheese. I love cheese. I think cheese is one of the best things ever. And growing up, I was a cheese fanatic, wasn't I, Mom? I had put cheese on everything. I think I put cheese in my cereal. No, I'm teasing. That's nasty. But now I see cheese from time to time. I'll see it here on Wednesday or at my own home, and I go, man, I want to eat that cheese. But I have to remind myself, don't eat that cheese, because I have something called LI, lactose intolerance. And that would, <laughs> someone said, ooh. It's so true. You can still eat cheese. Yes, you can. You can. And sometimes I eat cheese vicariously. Like I'll watch someone eat cheese and I just enjoy it that way. <laughs> Here's number two. I tell myself this sometimes is don't stretch too hard. Anyone else? You wake up in the morning or you stretch before you exercise and you need a good stretch, right? But sometimes you stretch too much and you end up with one of those pinched neck things. I did that the other day. I stretched too hard and uh, my body let me know. Don't do that. You're in your 40s now. Stretch a little bit. Number three that I think that I tell myself over and over and over is remember, this North Country weather isn't typical. <laughs> right? Is it typical? It's not typical? You keep telling me it's not typical. One of these days we're going to have true North Country weather. I don't even know what that is, apparently, because it hasn't been typical since I've been here. Uh, number four thing I tell myself all the time is summer is not a curse of sin. You just don't like it. I try to have these theological debates with my wife sometime. Like I try to tell her that onions that I don't like are the forbidden fruit and that summer was a curse of sin and she says, read your Bible. It's not in there. How about number five? I have to say this. In fact, I said this to myself today. Turn off your microphone before you sing in church. <laughs> now, Ken, you're my backup. If I forget that, you, you hear me up there singing. And sometimes it, it, it does. It gets on the live stream, and you notice the viewers drop. Oh, my word. Here's number six thing I have to tell myself all the time is remember, you bought that toy for your children. Sometimes I get my kids' toys, and they're just so fun looking, right? I just have to try it out a little bit and make sure it works so it's safe for them. 
And then I have to remind myself, I didn't buy that for myself. Number seven thing I tell myself sometimes is don't try to show off your muscles to your wife anymore. She's not impressed. And last time you got injured. I've already earned my wife. I don't have to show off anymore, do I? <laughs> She's not convinced. How about this one? Number eight, you have eight kids. You'll never own a cool car again. It's true. I see these sports cars fly by. I'm like, man. And I have this big clunky SUV and van. And we're talking about getting this huge bus one day. And, you know, the whole Walker crew and tour will come into town. No cool cars for the Walkers anymore. How about number nine? Moose are just myth mythical creatures. You'll never actually see one. Okay, so the other day I got a, an email from the Merrills, and the Merrills sent me a picture of a moose that was right next to the Circle K. Do you guys know where we live? Like a rock stone's throw away from the Circle K, and there was a moose there at 2 a.m. mocking me. Just, just out there making fun of me. I'm here, but you'll never see me. Na 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 na. So until that day, they are mythical creatures. I have to tell myself that. And number 10 thing I have to tell myself as a pastor, because I'm a pastor, don't road rage that driver from Massachusetts. Right? Because that's not good for a pastor. Pastors don't do that kind of thing. So sometimes you have to give yourself a little bit of emphasis, right? Well, we're going to lead into today's lesson by a lesson. I think something that God's word gives us over and over and over. In fact, we find this thing in 1 John a lot is love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Today's lesson will be called Love Emphasized. If you have your Bibles, you can join us in 1 John 4. I still encourage you to read 1 John once a week as a practice. So we still have another chapter to go with 1 John. If you haven't started that practice, make that a practice of your week. Read it through once a week. It takes about 10, 15 minutes. Let's read our passage together. 1 John 4, starting in verse 19. John says in verse 19, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We got to keep this in context. This last week we talked about, last Sunday we talked about having a confident soul and we talked about verses right before this in verses 16 to 18. If you don't understand what John has just said, it's going to make today's lesson a little complicated, a little hard to know what he means. So although we can't reteach that lesson, let's reread pass that passage from last week and help us understand where John is going today. He said in verse John 4, verses 16 to 18, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's the basis for what John is telling us today. Our three-point outline, if you have your notes, is going to be number one, love multiplied. Number two, love corrected. And number three, love commanded. That's our outline today. Now, before we get to our outline and our message today, 
You guys remember record players or hi-fis or vinyl, whatever they call them today, record players? What would happen on the occasional record when you were playing it back in the day? It would, how old are you? You're my age. Oh, that was behind you. What would, oh, you do know, okay. So what would happen is occasionally there'd be a little hitch in the record and the record would get stuck, right? And what would happen is the record would keep playing the same phrase over and over and over. Have you noticed this with First John? Have you noticed this, like I've noticed this, that First John is not giving us 15 lessons. He's giving us the same lesson over and over and over. Now, sometimes it's phrased differently, like fellowship and commandments and follow Jesus, but essentially has the same thing over and over and over. It's all on love. And... Sometimes that gets tedious to hear the similar lesson over and over and over. And the question that I've had with my mom recently, and someone in the church we even discussed this this past week, is why? Why does John continue to hash the same things over and over and over? I want you to think about that question just for a moment. I'm going to give you a few options for why he might do what he's doing here today. Because 1 John, although it's a wonderful, deep book, it's kind of the same thing being retold in different ways all throughout the book. My, aunt, my question is why? Why, John? Well, here's a couple options of why I think John is teaching the same things over and over. Maybe John was a simple man. I mean, John was a fisherman, wasn't he? He was a fisherman, not a, not a scholar, not a professor, not even a pastor. John was a fisherman. He was a simple man. When Jesus called the first disciples, they were common laborers. And John was one of those people. So is that why First John is the way that it is? John's mind just can't process a lot. And therefore, he's going to handle some very simple things. I would say maybe, but most likely no. Because doesn't God love to take the weak and the unwise and confound the wise? Doesn't he like to take those of us who, like myself, aren't the scholars of the world and, and do great things with them? Well, I believe that's what he's doing with John. I don't think John is just a simple man. I think John is a simple man in the hands of the Almighty God. So I don't think that really answers our question that John just couldn't handle a lot. Maybe this, maybe number two is we're slow to learn. Maybe his readers are slow to learn. Maybe we as an audience are slow to learn. We just talked about a list of things that I'm slow to learn in. Maybe you're that way as well. You need to hear the same kind of things over and over before it sticks. <laughs> There's some weird caution signs out there. And uh, I can only believe that these were made for men. I, I mean, I, I really do. I believe these caution signs were made for men. I believe there were a couple men that messed this up. And someone said, we need a warning. We need a warning label. This one says, do not iron while wearing your shirt. Does that ever happen? Supposed to, there's no way. Lisa, you're confessing to that one? I don't even know what to say to that. You don't do this as a practice anymore, right? That was like one time and done. You learned your lesson, yeah. Got it, got it. Oh boy. And then the second one, it says remove child before folding. Um, always a good thing to do when you have a little uh, carriage there, a little, little seat for the kid. But um, sometimes we're, we're slow to learn and I don't know why that is, but it, it's true. And I, I throw myself in that boat as well. Sometimes I'm slow to learn, and I don't necessarily mean like academically slow to learn, like we can't process truth. It just takes us a while before we enter our mind to our practice, right? 
what we know to what we do? And perhaps that's an answer to the question, is we're slow to learn. Well, maybe number three, the themes are that important. Maybe John isn't deviating from these themes because they're so crucial. I think that's probably one good answer for that, number three. In fact, I decided to do a fun little practice. Maybe you guys have heard of these. They're called word clouds. You guys ever seen these? You could take a bunch of text and put it in this little generator and hit enter, and it comes out with, with this little word cloud that tells you the most prominent words used in that text that you just put in. So I decided to do that for the whole book of 1 John. I was just curious. I took every chapter of 1 John, put it in this little generator, and let it spit out the word cloud. And this is what I got. I just want to run through these real quick. This is 1 John chapter 1. Notice the words that 1 John 1 uses more than, more than the others. Do you notice one word sticking out? Fellowship. Yeah, John talked a lot about fellowship in chapter 1. But there's also words like heard, say, proclaim, light. Themes. This is why I've encouraged you to read through 1 John once a week so that you'll see these themes. They'll pop up. 1 John 2 and has this word know that John brings up a lot. And we've seen that as a pattern as well, as John says, by this you will know, by this you know. And so 1 John 2 emphasizes that concept quite a bit. 1 John 3, we start getting words like God, that should be uppercase, of course, know, love. John really starts to hammer in on this concept of knowing and loving and being known by God. In our chapter, 1 John chapter 4, John maybe even gets a little more simple. You notice there's two things that sticks out in John 4. It's God and love. So it seems like the further John goes in this book, the simpler it's getting. When we get to chapter 5, you'll notice John's really going to focus his attention on one person. It's going to be God. I did not modify that at all. That's exactly how the word cloud came out. And I think that's interesting that John is focusing us up on really simple themes all throughout the book. And I believe it's because they're so important. They're that important that he's going to rehash them time and time again. Maybe number four is also true. God knows what his children need. Because God is our father. Right? He's our father. He knows us. He knows us by name. He knows all the hairs on our head. He knows everything about us from the beginning of our lives to the end of eternity. And so God knows what we need. So we're reading 1 John, sometimes we're going, we get it, move on, let's find something deeper. We have to remember that God knows better than we do about our own souls and what we need. And I find that to be a beautiful relationship that I have with my own children. Nobody knows my children better than I do. So when I give my own children lessons, I know exactly what they need because I've learned them ever since they were, ever since they were young and, and were born. And so I think God knows that better than anybody, is knows exactly what we need. And when I picked the book of 1 John, it did not do so carelessly. This was a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. And I believe truly that this is the book God selected for this church at this time. And I believe he thinks we, we need this at this time. Number five is perhaps this, John knows what defeats Satan. Because John had been in those battles with the evil one. And John had come out of those battles as a victor. We know this because he gets into John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, and he says this, he tells us, the reason why he wrote the way that he wrote. He doesn't leave us in suspense. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why, John? Why do you write these things? So that you may know that you have eternal life. There it is. There's the reason. There's the reason John is going over the same concepts and same themes time and time again so that we 
know for certain that we can have eternal life and we can defeat the evil one. Here's our outline today. We're going to start with this, love multiplied. If you have your notes, you can join along with us. Love multiplied. John says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We did not invent love, did we, as people, as a culture. Love is all around our culture. We use this word so many times, but we are not the ones who came up with the concept of love. We love because God first loved you and I. And maybe you've asked this question before, because love is one of those, again, one of those themes that's all over our culture, and we all have a bunch of different definitions for this concept of love. And so maybe the question is in our own minds, who actually needs this? Who needs it? Maybe we can move on to deeper, more profound things. Who actually needs love? Well, once you ask that question, you realize how silly that question is because without love, where are we? And the answer is no, we're good. No, we're good. In fact, we're probably not alive this very day without love. But I find myself sometimes tempted to go down that and go, just like you guys, do, do we need to talk about love another lesson? And I believe that we do. And our culture is on this topic of love all the time as well. In fact, most songs that are produced are produced on the topic of love. Many movies, and I would say even most movies, are on the topic of love. Love is all around our culture. That means the world is thinking about love. The world is trying to gain and get and show more love. And I think that's interesting. Now, we have a complex difference of definitions with love than the world does, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the world also thinks love is important, and we know that because we see it. We see it in every song, almost every movie and TV show, and we get this concept from our great God. Because it was Jesus that told us. That he first loved us. We know love. We believe in love. We get on the, on the train of love because Jesus first loved us. Without his love, we don't believe in love. Without his love, we don't want love. Without his love, we aren't alive today. It was Jesus Christ who came and gave his life for us. To think on the question, why do we need love? We, have, we simply have to dip our toes into scripture and find out this truth very, very clearly. From Ephesians chapter, I should say chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul talks about this concept of why we need love. He says this in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? The devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were dead, and we were awaiting just punishment for our sins. Things were badly off for us, weren't they? Badly off. We were dead and we were awaiting the wrath of God because of the sins that we had chosen to do. Do we need love? All you have to do is look at one passage. Well, let's look at one more from Revelation chapter 20. If you look at the end of the Bible, it's talking about the prophecy of how this thing is going to end. And it says in chapter 20, verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now that's not a passage pastors like to bring up a lot because that makes the room feel very uncomfortable. But we have to understand that that's the truth of Scripture. That if we don't have love, we will find ourselves in a place we don't even want to imagine, let alone be. That is without our name being in the book of life and being thrown into the second death, that is the lake of fire. But let's play the other side here today and, and, ask, and basically come up with a statement that is truth, and I really believe this is true, that if we don't need love, and if we could prove that, which we can't prove that, then we don't need to give it to others. If we don't need love, there's no reason that God would encourage us and command us to show that to anybody else. But if you don't need love, think about how you're different your life would be. You wouldn't have any family. You wouldn't have any friends or relationships. You wouldn't have any care or support. You wouldn't have any protection. You wouldn't have any provision. It would be you completely on your own with everything that this life throws at you. There would be no help, no support, no one to look over you. Without love, this would be a terrifying place to live and a terrifying eternity. But if we don't need love, we don't need to give it to other people. And of course, that's not where John is taking us because in Romans, Paul tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. Because God disagrees that we don't need love. He saw us wallowing in our sins. He saw us headed on a fast track to the lake of fire and God said, I'm going to step in the way. I'm going to do something about it. While they were sinners, my son is going to die for them. I'm going to give them love even when they don't think they need it. Because I believe they do need it. And God is right and we were wrong. So God stepped in by his son and gave us the love that changed our lives. Because we were dead. And then somebody died. So that we could have eternal life. Aren't you thankful for that? That when you were the most unlovely you could be, when you were dead and spiritually unable to do anything for God, when you were chasing your sins and loving your sins and glorifying in your sinful lifestyle, Jesus Christ said, I will step in the way of their lifestyle and I will pay their debt and I will give them the life that they know they need. They just can't see it. I will give them eternal life. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in the same passage we just looked at, right after we look at verses 1 to 3, Things drastically change because Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And there it is. There is God understanding how bad things were for us, even when we didn't understand it. And God stepped in by his rich love and mercy and saved our souls so that we could be with him forever. That is how much our God loves us. And if I could boil this down to one phrase, it would be this, you are wanted. You are wanted. I am wanted by a holy, righteous, almighty God who I was rebelling against. God said, I want him. I want you. I want you. 
because he sent his son to die for us so that we would not perish in the second death, but instead have eternal life. That's the basis for this concept of love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And we're all recipients of that love. Even those who say they don't believe in Jesus Christ still receive the love of God. The rain comes. The sun shines. Protection, provision falls upon their life. God's love is there whether they believe it or not. And if you take the love of God away from our lives, it's devastating immediately. But God not only loves us with general things like sunshine and rain, but he loves us with every spiritual blessing that he could give us in Jesus Christ. And John says this, he says, We love because he first loved us. Those are hearts, by the way. God loved us, therefore what should we do? It's right there in one verse. Love. If love has touched your life, if love has changed your life, if you're a recipient of God's love every single day, doesn't it make logical sense that we will show love to one another? How can it be that we receive this tremendous love of God and stop short of showing it to others? And John's going to say it can't. It can't be. It can't be that the dam of God's love has broken and touched every part of your life and that it doesn't spill over into the lives of those around you. Therefore, if we need love, and we've proven that we do, then we must give it out to one another. We must. We must. It's not an option. It's not get to it when you can. If we love one another, then we should be giving that love out to those around us. It's a very simple equation. But it's so simple, sometimes we overshoot it instead of letting the truth embed our souls and embed our minds. And God says to us, Todd, get out there and show my love to one another. And it's Jesus who gave us this concept more than even John. John got this from Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me for my love, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, thankfully, we don't have to die on a wooden cross on a hill. But we do have to take up our own cross. We do have to give what's necessary in order to follow Jesus Christ. And most things that we do in order to follow Jesus Christ will be all surrounded on this concept of love. Because Jesus said in John 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another. Notice it, just as I have loved you. I've loved you with a tremendous, profound love when you didn't deserve it. Now I expect you to take that love and show it to those around you. It's love multiplied. Love received and love given out. Let's talk about love corrected. Talk about love multiplied. Let's talk about love corrected because John brings that up. Now, I have eight kids. I have a family of ten. And something I hear from my church people on a pretty regular occasion is, Pastor Todd, you look tired. <laughs> I get it a lot. I might look tired right now. And I always chuckle a little bit because I'm thinking to myself, you're right. I am tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I lead a church. I lead a family of 10. If I wasn't tired, always refreshed, that's when things would look a little weird, right? I think looking tired is going to be an automatic for a guy like me. I'm sure many of you are tired as well. But tired is sort of a part of the job that I have right now. Let's use another illustration, though. 
We live, our house, I told you we're near the Circle K, we live by this mountain, is it a mountain? Called Mount Eustace. Who's been on Mount Eustace before? Who has sled or skied down Mount Eustace? Okay, there we go. Mount Eustace is supposed to be easy, right? We haven't been on Mount Eustace yet. We're hoping this winter we can get the kids out there and see what transpires. But let's just say as an illustration, you were, we went, we did a church event and you saw your pastor on Mount Eustace skiing down Mount Eustace and struggling badly, badly struggling, falling on my face, just making a fool of myself. And then the same day I tried to convince you that I am a black diamond skier. <laughs> I ski all the black diamonds in Vermont and New Hampshire and I'm really good at skiing. And you see me here on Mount Eustace, the easiest hill in the world, and I'm struggling tremendously. Would you think to your mind just for a moment, I might have a liar as a pastor? Because he can't even handle Mount Eustace. I doubt he can handle the black diamonds. Well, John's going to bring up something kind of like that. He says in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, and you have to understand a lot of people say this. Most of the world says this. I love God. God. Now think about that for a moment. You love the sovereign, holy, righteous, almighty God. You and your actions love him. Now it's not a wrong statement, but it's a big statement to say that I love God. John says, if you also hate your brother, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It doesn't work. Because one is way easier than the other. To love someone tangible here upon the earth is a small bar. To love the almighty God who dwells in heaven is a massive bar. In fact, let's put that on the screen as well so we understand what John is saying. Here's a little child trying to get over a small bar, okay? This would be loving others. Okay, it's not cake, it's not a cakewalk. It takes cost and sacrifice to love one another. And many people are saying they love God. They're scaling this huge, massive bar saying, I and my actions give love to the holy, righteous, almighty God. But they're not even doing this over here. And John says it can't be. You can't scale this huge, massive bar and then not be clear in the other bar at the same time. If we're not doing this, we're definitely not doing that. John's going to link them. He's going to connect the two to say one does the other. By doing the one, you do both. But if you don't do this one, you definitely don't do the higher one. Because one is much, much harder than the, than the, than the next. Before we get too far into the, to the lesson here today... I want to talk about what love is not, because I know the world is on this concept of love. You see it all over the place, right? All over our culture. Love, 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 love. And sometimes, maybe as Christians, we start to roll our eyes and go, man, A, I don't want to hear any more on this topic of love, or B, why can't they love the right way? Well, I want to talk about what love is not before we get too far into this lesson so that we know what John is speaking about, and we know what he's not speaking about. So I've come up with three things that I believe love is not. Love is not giving people everything they want, is it? It can be because I'm a father and I know as a father what my children need and I know that if I give them everything they want, it's going to turn out badly for them and me. The whole family will suffer if I give my children every single thing that they want because all they want is candy and fun every day of their life with nothing else. 
If I gave them that, they would be tremendously happy, but they would be tremendously unhealthy, wouldn't they? That would not be love. That is, therefore, love is more complex than that. Love is also not affirming every decision people make, regardless of truth and consequences. It can't be. Because I remember some of the most loving people, my mom's in the audience being one of those people, sitting me down in my mid-twenties saying, Todd, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And if I let you continue to go that way, your life will get worse and worse and worse. She didn't affirm my lifestyle. And I think I'm here today because of that conversation, Mom. Love is also not turning a blind eye to someone's dangerous behavior, which makes them feel good. It's not love. If I saw my little Thurmond, who loves to grab things, whatever he sees, if I saw him with a knife and said, ah, go have a good time, they would lock me up. Social services would come and take my children away from me because that would not be love. My son would be happy for just a little while before he did something tragic. Love is complex, isn't it? We have to do a little bit of homework in order to understand the right kind of love. It's not just giving people what they want. If I got exactly what I wanted from God earlier in my life, I'm not here today. And I mean as a pastor, I might even mean as a person. I may have made a train wreck of my life so badly that it never got back up. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a good illustration of this concept of love. I don't know, we don't know what the priest and the Levite were thinking that day when they passed by on the other side, but perhaps they were thinking, well, I believe I am loving. A, I said a prayer as I moved on. B, I didn't complicate his life. I didn't judge him. I just simply moved on with my day. But what was needed for that man today, that day? He needed someone's help. He needed somebody's help. He needed someone to recognize the need, to notice that he was suffering, and to help him in spite of what his desires were at that moment. He needed someone to come alongside of him and say, I will help you. I don't know you, but I see you suffering, and I will give you the love that you need. Love takes homework. Love takes a vision. Love takes a noticing. And then love takes accounting of the cost in order to do what happened, do what's necessary. Because the other side of love is tragic. Hatred we talked about this in 1 John when he compared those who don't love to someone really, really big called Cain. Cain was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Cain went and murdered his brother. And that's a really tragic thing that took place in the early part of creation. But then John says, love like Christ and don't be like Cain. He doesn't give us any third option. Love like Christ and don't be like Cain, because hatred hurts, doesn't it? No matter how hatred comes, if it's neglect, if it's saying the wrong thing, if it's doing the wrong thing, hatred hurts. But what's so interesting about hatred and love is that it's always two for one. You notice that? Hatred not only hurts others, it also hurts God at the same time. When we hate, we hurt those whom God has created, and we hate the Creator as well. It was James, the apostle, that wrote this in James chapter 1. Religion, which I guess most of, the, most of the known world considers himself religious. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before the God, the Father, is this. To worship God loudly with your voice? No, he said, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Sometimes you'll hear this phrase thrown around in Christianity that Christianity is not a religion of works. It's wrong. 
Christianity is a religion of works because there is no other kind. Now, what we mean when we say that is Christianity is not a justification of works. It's not a salvation of works. We are saved completely by the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you look up the same passage in Ephesians 2 that tells us we are not saved by works, and you get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, we were created for good works. God created us for good works. So when we show love, we are most like Jesus Christ. And when we neglect to show love, we're not religious at all. Because there is no other kind of religion than one that shows good works and shows love to those around us. And you'll see that all over Scripture. Yes, you have to get the horse before the carriage. God has to love us before we can love anybody else. But once we are alive, once we are awakened, once we are put back on the right track, God says, love, show good works. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about love multiplied and love corrected. Now we're going to talk about love commanded. This is how John ends things for us. Now, when, when I give my children commands, they immediately groan because it means they're going to have to do something they don't want to do. And they can tell by my tone and the way that I phrase the statement that it's going to be something they don't like. And if I say, guys, get your shoes on, we're going to go buy new toys, boy, record time. Those shoes are on, they're at the door, they're ready to go. But if I say things like, go clean your room or go clean the downstairs or go help your mom or something like that, they all groan. And this is kind of how we feel about commandments. And John's going to handle this in chapter 5. In the very next verse, or next, next passage, he's going to say this phrase, for the commandments of God are not burdensome. And we're going to talk about that going forward. But this concept of loving one another and loving God sometimes sounds like a burden. Like, God, I just want to get on with my life. You've loved me. I'm, I have eternal life. I love you. I'm going to worship you on Sunday. And God says, stop your life and love me and love your neighbor. I don't care what you do today. Do that. Do that above all your other needs, above all your other errands. Make sure if you do one thing today that you love the Lord your God and you love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want anything else. There's no religion without it. There's no worship without it. There's no pleasing God without it. And sometimes we scurry about, and again, I'm throwing myself in the mix, we scurry about so many times with all our duties and our errands, we get to the end of the day and we haven't thought about people. We thought about ourselves and our needs. And there's a strange concept going out in our culture where people say, I love God, I love Jesus. I just have no time for the church. I want God. Don't get me wrong. I love God. Me and God are on great terms. It's the church I have a problem with. So I'm going to love God and I'm going to hate the church. But they're forgetting one important thing. God and his church are intertwined. You can't love one without the other. By loving God, you must love the church. By loving the church, you will love God. There's no loving God and hating the church. It doesn't exist. In 1 John 4, 21, John says, in this commandment, he wants us to understand this isn't just something that he's encouraging us to do or something that's a good idea. He's saying, you must. You must. It's mandatory for all believers. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God, notice it, must also love his brother. If you want to love God, if you want to worship God, you must love your brother and sister and 
all the church because they're so intertwined. God has set it up this way. Now, I told you, it's kind of a funny picture, but you guys have heard the phrase, two birds, one stone, right? Two birds, one stone. And I don't know if anyone, has anyone ever actually done that? Kill two birds with one stone? David? <laughs> I have to hear this story later. David has, David has done this. Okay. Well, here's, here's how God has made this thing. We're going to get back to that, by the way. Here's how God's made this thing, is that we've talked about hatred, right? This is how God has designed it. That when we hate, we'll say brother, even though it's included all the church, brother and sister. When we hate one, we hate them both. I don't know if you can see that, but when you hate your brother, you hate God actively as a practice. Because that is his child. That is his follower. That is someone that God has died for. When you hate your brother, you hate the God that created that person. Now that's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, think, I, I can think of the times recently that I've shown hatred and said things to someone that is hurtful. And I have to realize and sit with this right now that I have hurt God and said those things to my God at the same time. Because those people come from him. Those people are loved by him. But... We can also flip it around, can't we? That when you love your brother, you also love God at the same time. Because that's how God's designed it. He told us there are two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But oftentimes in Scripture, the, the apostles, Jesus himself will boil it down to one commandment. Love one another. Does he neglect the greatest commandment? I mean, Jesus, you're telling us to skip number one and go right to two? No, Jesus is telling us by doing one, we do them both. By loving his people, we love him. That shouldn't shock us. He told Peter, the apostle, Peter, if you love me, which Peter said emphatically, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. You know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. Peter, if you want to love me, love my people. Love who I created. Give all the talents and the time and the resources that I've given you to them. And you will love me, Peter. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. That if you want to love your pastor, I think the best way to love your pastor is to love my family. And I believe that. I would never say to someone showing love to my family, hey, stop. What about me? <laughs> Come on. You're loving the wrong people. Someone showing kindness to my little daughter, my sons. I would never stop them and say that. Can you imagine God saying that on the last day? You show all this love to his people and God going, wait a minute. He didn't show any love to me. You skipped over number one and went right to number two. God would never say that. Because he's telling us today, if you want to love me, love my people. Love those who I love the most. And you will love me. I've designed it that way. The two boil down into one. I think this message is so clearly seen in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, what's interesting about Ephesians 5 is there's two messages in the same verse. We talked about that last week, how there's a perspective thing. Sometimes you'll see one thing in a scripture, in a scripture passage... And it's right there on the surface. And then sometimes you'll read it again and another deeper layer hits you. Right? You ever see that? 
Well, Ephesians 5 is one of those chapters because it's talking about marriage. It's talking about how to have a holy, godly marriage. And he says, husband, love your wives. And then he says, as Christ loved the church. And then he tells us how he loved the church so that we know as husbands how to love our wives. Gave himself up for her on the cross that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church, that's the hurry he's talking about, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you notice that? Do you notice how much Christ loves his church? He bends over backwards for her. He does everything, and I mean everything, he has to, in order that his church would be holy and without blemish on the day of judgment. Because that's how much he loves us. And then he uses that in Ephesians 5 to tell husbands to do that with their wives. Wow. Two messages in the same passage. And it's all about love. Take the love of God that he gives to you and give that out to those that he loves. And right there is the concept for us loving one another. Because Jesus loves his church so much he died for them when they were sinners, when they were badly off, when they were dead in their sins and awaiting the wrath of God, Jesus stepped off his throne in heaven, came to the earth, took on our sins, died for our sins on the cross, and did so willingly and would do it again. All because he loves his church. So for us to say, Jesus, I love you, but I have no time for your church, it doesn't work. It can't be. John says, you're a liar, and it's impossible. Because if you want to love one, you've got to love the other. We've talked about some love songs, and the world writes their own version of love songs, and they're pretty shallow, to be honest. But you see, these, these statements of love in the Scripture are so deep when you read them. Jesus loves His church so much, He shed His blood for them. Now that's love, guys. That is love right there. That's not, I love you today and tomorrow we'll see. That is like, I love you so much, I died for you. I took my blood and shed it for your sins. If we want to love Jesus, we should love those he died for. He's telling us that today. If you want to love me with your life, with your speech, love my people, love my children. Loving Christ church is the primary way. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way to act like a follower of Jesus. Follow right behind Jesus and do exactly as he did. And the number one thing on that list is love one another. Psalm 18.1, the psalmist says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I hope you want to give love to God. I want to give love to God. I think that's one of the most noble things to live for and to spend your day doing is love God. Love Him. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, that should, thought should be in our minds all the time. How can I love Him more? In fact, there was a song written about this many, many years ago. I don't know if you can read that. By a woman named Elizabeth Prentice. And she wrote a hymn, and I'm going to read the lyrics here. It says, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea, more love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. Amen? Do you want to love Christ? Do you want to love your Lord and your Savior? I believe you do. I believe that's why you're here. 
How do we love Jesus? That answer should be in your mind already. How do we love Jesus? What's the best primary way to love Jesus? Love his bride. The church. His children. His people. The best way to love your Lord and love your Savior is love those that he died for. And sometimes we skip right over that and go, we go right past that and go, God, help me do something grand for you, something really powerful for you today. I'll go on some missions trip. I'll give some huge check. And God always redirects us to this. Love my people. Love my people. That's what I want more than anything. Before we close today, I don't want to leave you hanging. How do we love Christ Church? I came up with five ways. I know there's more than this. But how do we love Christ Church? Number one, commit yourself to it. Yeah, commit yourself to it. Flaky love is not love. Is it? It's lukewarm and it's selfish. When we commit ourselves to the church, we're saying to Jesus, I'm in, I'm in. I want to love you the way you loved me and therefore if it takes me loving the church, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. I'm going to commit to your church, Father. Any ways that I can grow, any ways that I can serve them, I'm going to because I want to love you. Number two is think as highly of Christ's bride as he does. And sometimes we're not very kind to the church in our speech, are we? Going, man, the church. The church. Can you believe the church? Can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they did? Can you believe how bad it's acting? Well, sometimes the church does act badly. But I would never sit in the company of those who are saying bad things about my wife, Janine. I would never do it. And I don't believe Jesus does either. So the best way to get Jesus out of our fellowship is talk badly about his bride. Let's never do it. Let's think as highly of Christ's bride as he does. Let's speak with as many kind words and loving affection to the church as we can. Number three is never ever bring any harm to Christ's bride or his children. Again, I would never, never allow anyone to actively harm my children. I would stand in the way of anyone who tried to do so. And so does God. When we want to harm or when we seek to harm those whom God loves, God is not going to have it. He is going to actively oppose us. Do you want God actively opposing you? I don't. Therefore, never bring any harm to Christ's bride, the church. Never. Number four is be looking for any opportunities to love Christ's bride. I mean, if that's how we love the Lord, we should be actively hunting and searching for ways to love his church more because we want to give something to Christ that he deserves. And I really do. Therefore, let us look around the church and say, where are the needs? I want to step in and meet them because I love Jesus. Number five is pray for, protect, provide for, and promote Christ's church. And do it all for Jesus. Because he's telling us that today. If you want to love one, love the other. If you want to love me, love my people. Do whatever you can to promote the church of Jesus Christ. The theme for the book of 1 John has been for his glory, for our benefit. Let's quickly talk about how this is possible. In this passage today, number one, I believe God is glorified when we give him the same that he gave us. Because we have to understand this is his pattern. Love is his pattern. God created love. So that when we get on the train of love, the same love that he showed us, God is glorified because we're saying that is truth. That is truth. Your way is the right way, God, and I'm in. 
And God is glorified when we do that. But we are also benefited when God gives us, and I really believe this is a privilege, to love Him exactly the same way that He loved us. And He's giving that to us right now. We get to love God the same way He loved us. We get to offer God something that we know He wants, that He will cherish for the rest of eternity. He's giving it to us right now, and I believe that's a privilege. Because God doesn't have to do that. When he says, love my church, he's saying, you get to use everything that I've given you in benefit for my glory and my people. What's the point? It's love emphasized. Because John has already talked about love. And he's emphasizing it. Because it's so important. The themes are that important. It's that powerful. It's how we beat the devil. It's how we know we have eternal life. John, what's the point of the lesson today? Number, this is very, very easy. Strive to love Christ's church so that we can have the privilege of loving our Lord Jesus. I can't overcomplicate it because it's a simple concept. By loving Christ's church, we will love our Lord. And by neglecting to love Christ's church, we are neglecting to love our Lord. And I've given myself to the service of God's church, but even sometimes I get caught in the weeds and it's all about stuff. And I have to remember it's about his people. It's about his people. And I hope that's what God is reminding us of today because he said the two greatest commandments are this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And if the two are one, notice how we should love our neighbor. Not for their sake. Sometimes people don't deserve our love. But Jesus always deserves our love. And if we're seeing Jesus when we see his people, that is the greatest motivation for loving one another, isn't it? I can always find motivations to love my Jesus. And I hope that you can too. It's love emphasized. John is going to continue to remind us of this in chapter 5. Let's bow and pray and ask the Lord for his help. Father, we are so thankful that we are simple people, Father, and we need the same lesson over and over again. And Father, this is an important one. And sometimes we get lost and we, we are certain that life has to be about something deeper. And there's something more important to spend our lives doing. But Father, there's not. You've told us point blank today, there is nothing better to spend our lives doing than to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to love your people the church, those you have died for, those who are following Jesus Christ on the same journey as we are. And the greatest thing about love is when we give it out, it returns back to us. Father, remind us of this blessed truth today so that we can say more love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Father, bless Crossroads Church. Get us actively loving one another for your sake. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.